The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Dynamic Healing with two experts in chronic pain, David Hanscom and Les Aria. This podcast will show you how to unlock your body's ability to heal. Just breathe and learn how to rewire your brain and break free from chronic pain. Welcome to Dynamic Healing. I'm Les Aria. I'm David Hanscom, and I'd like to introduce our special guest this morning, Dr. Fred Luskin, who's a good friend of mine and getting to know Les Aria a bit more. And Fred and I have been doing workshops for about, I don't know, five or six years. We grab lunch together. We talk about life in general. We have almost all the world's problems solved, right, Fred? So he's Always. <laughs> <laughs> so I've learned a tremendous amount about forgiveness. Fred is a Stanford professor, psychologist. He's been on, he, he's a person who brought forgiveness into the psychological domain. He's been working on this since he's 15 years old. And he just has incredible insights into the nature of forgiveness and lots of angles I never thought about. So he wrote a book called Forgive for Good, which when it came into my practice around 2015, that's when people started to really heal. It was very consistent. And now that I know much more about chronic pain, people just don't get better until they actually can forgive. They just can't do it. We're going to talk about more about that today. So um, this is today's episode is called Vulnerability, the First Step of Forgiveness. And the purpose of this talk is that there's no rewards in nature for being vulnerable. Basically, you die. So, and while humans are also living creatures, yet it, is the, yet it is the essence of enjoyable and functional human relationships. Anger covers up feeling vulnerable, and you must connect with your vulnerability before you can, before you can begin to forgive. So we're sort of catch-22 as humans because we have language that causes pain. And why would we want to have pain? And Fred and Les both have lots of insights in this vulnerability process, which for me is a bit of an issue. We'll talk about that as the program goes on. So anyway, welcome, Fred. We're excited to have you back. And, we're, and we've learned a lot from you about forgiveness. And uh, Les? Yeah, I thought, and definitely welcome back again, folks and audience. And um, Dr. Luskin here is really going to guide us um, with a nice discussion we'll have here. But let's start with, um, I've got two quotes. I could not decide which one to use. I thought I'd throw in two. So this one you might like, the greatest power you possess is not wielding it. That's David Hanscom. So our guru resident here. I'm, now, trying, I'm trying to keep up with my guru, Dr. Ari and Dr. Luskin. I got two. <laughs> again, we have, remember we have two psychologists, um, a surgeon between two psychologists. Talking about right. feeling vulnerable. 
Right, and that's called a surgeon sandwich, David. <laughs> um, so let me let me read uh, one. Uh, and the other quote I'd like to read to everyone is this. So I'm going to read it nice and slowly here. Vulnerability is human opportunity for growth. Fred Leskin. This is um. This was just taken from a few minutes ago when we were having a discussion right before coming um, online here. And I think it's a real nice leap for us to kind of begin. Um, let's kind of have uh, the discussion begin and David kind of guide us through this. So we can really kind of walk away from today's episode understanding vulnerability because it sounds so, you know, yucky, um, let alone the word forgiveness feel this visceral reaction even hearing the word forgiveness and it's almost like letting someone off the hook so let's talk about it well i'd like to ask fred a question really quickly here we'll go into some of the details in a second but you know for many to me many years to figure out that many people just simply do not want to give up their pain there's a lot of power in pain they're justifiably angry being in pain is a justifiable reason for being angry it's an unpleasant sensation you can't escape it why wouldn't you be angry? Yet the biggest block by far is people's inability to give up their pain slash anger. So then I heard Dr. Luskin's, Fred's Lusk, Fred Luskin's YouTube's on vulnerability. And I go, okay, because I have said for long, I didn't really put anxiety and vulnerability into the same bucket, but I do know patient people hate to feel anxious. They just hate that feeling. It's a survival feeling. And what happened with me, I didn't know what anxiety was because I covered it up with anger in the form of perfectionism. Always not good enough, not good enough, always angry at myself. Guilt, I'm told anger is anger turned inward. So I was guilty, I was perfectionistic, perfectionistic. I was critical. So of course I couldn't feel anxiety and I just didn't know what that word meant. And things broke down and started developing crippling anxiety. But I'd like to ask Fred about this idea of vulnerability, how you define it, how you encapsulate it, how it has become such a major part of what you do. But this vul word vulnerability for me, honestly, is a relatively new word in the last maybe even five years. So Fred, what do you, how do you, in your term, when you describe vulnerability and the work you do with vulnerability, what does that word encapsulate to you? When, when you mentioned before, and I've heard you say this before, that it's very hard for people to release and open so that you know they can move past their, their holding on chronic pain. What, what I hear is that when, when something happens in our life that we don't want, we usually tighten up around it. We object to it. We argue with it. We fight it. We, we do something aggressive. And, and that's a very useful first step. What, what the bigger picture is, though, that's a defensive first step. And you recognize that, you know, fighting what is. And then the vulnerability, um, which is, I think, one of your really good incredible insights is it's when you become vulnerable that you can finally start to grieve what has happened to you. So you can, you can finally look at the implications of what has either hurt you or isn't the way you want it to be or is painful. But as long as you're objecting to it in any way, you're tightening up against the, the kind of inner 
acceptance, evaluation, grieving. And as you've rightly said, when people grieve it, which is they need it somehow, they then have the opportunity to let go of their objection to it. And their body has a heck of a lot better chance of adapting and growing and recovering because they're not like they're not sending like missile attacks at their own experience. So that's it. Okay. So, okay. So something threatens us. We don't like it. We react, we fight it. And so I just want to ask lots of couple of questions because he has a famous saying is that what we resist will persist, but also the essence of healing is psychological flexibility. Do I have you quoted right, Dr. Aria? Yeah, I do. And that's the framework of mindfulness and values uh, using acceptance and commitment therapy. It's just sort of a, a cognitive behavioral framework. And I like what Fred said there. Um, you know, I, I wrote down what he just said in a few seconds ago because it was powerful. As he said it, I kind of felt it. Um, and I wanted to kind of repeat it back to the audience that vulnerability helps us start that grieving process. And it was really intriguing when he was saying that. I said, what is it that when we come across something, whether we realize we've made a mistake, whether um, we realize we've done something to ourselves that we should have done, uh, like for example, uh, just talking about medical problems when someone's like, I knew I shouldn't have done that or I shouldn't have agreed to that. Or you know, when we feel that vulnerability, it almost takes us back to that moment. And there is a biological, what I call threat physiology. And that's simply, to say that when we are faced with our self-image or when we're faced with, you know, I've made a mistake, there's a shaming thing that shows up. And when that shaming thing shows up, it kind of pushes that vulnerability up front. And we humans go like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I, I cannot feel that. And people became, become stuck. It reminds me of someone spinning in mud. So Fred's comment was vulnerability helps us start that grieving process. And I have to agree with that because when we're holding on to something tight, whether we know it or not, it shows up in our body, you know, and it shows up as resistance. And by the way, just to correct everyone here is Carl Jung is the, is the person that actually came up with that statement, what you resist persists. Do you feel better, you feel better confessing that now? <laughs> I do. Fred, I, go I forgive you for allowing me to think that was you. Oh, that was cheesy, David. Go on, Fred. <laughs> but the great humor of this, Les, is what life shows people is they're vulnerable. Mm, yes. And so if you're in pain, it's showing you you're vulnerable. If your partner left you, it's showing you that you're vulnerable. If you made a mistake, it's showing you that you're vulnerable. What, what, what is happening is that the people you're meeting are terrified to see reality, which is that yes. they're already yes. vulnerable. That, that's the irony of this, like it's revealing truth to them. The, the reason it's such a spectacular failure is they have to put so much energy to not see reality. Yes. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. I think, I think that's a Fred quote. I like that one. That's fantastic. But you're right. I mean, we, but see, I'm going to go back to the original part of our discussion just to frame what we're doing. Okay, so in nature, if you're a deer or reindeer or elk, we saw this in Sun Valley when I lived there, 
is that the weaker animals are put out to the edge of the herd because they're older and vulnerable. And so the stronger people put the vulnerable, vulnerable ones out to the edge. So just one example of how vulnerability is not rewarded in nature. Where you take like these sea turtles, thousands of them are born and only a few make it. So in nature, there just isn't rewards for being vulnerable from a survival standpoint. Humans, we forget, are also animals. We have those same survival instincts. And we don't like that feeling of being vulnerable. But you're right, Fred, that's exactly right. But the problem that humans have is that we have consciousness and language. We get to experience emotional pain at a level. I'm not saying animals don't have emotions. But with language, we get to experience emotional pain at a different level than animals do. And we know that emotional pain is processed in a similar manner as physical pain. And so you hurt my feelings or you broke my heart are real sensations. So why do we want to feel emotional pain any more than physical pain? And we don't. So when we feel pain or feel vulnerable, that sensation of anxiety is not great. So what happens with me personally is that I, I was a perfectionist, self-critical, that which is anger. And anger actually is quite good at covering up the feelings of anxiety or vulnerability. And so it took me many years to figure out that a lot of people just do not want to give up their pain slash anger, even though they intellectually do, they sort of can't. So you used to be sort of critical of that. And, and now I get it. They may not, may not have the capacity to do it. Maybe they don't have the tools to do it. But as I've read Fred's work and listened to him, maybe the biggest block to giving up your pain is the inability to be vulnerable. What do you think of that, Fred? I mean, where, where I struggle with some of this is um, like human beings have the possibility of responding so much more variably and with greater depth than just their animal back survival mechanism. So when, when you say that like, nature leads us to survive, it does using a very small piece of our brain. Right. But humans have much more potential than that. And, and so we also are endowed with the, the not just survival, but as you know, you all know that both thriving and happiness. And so if you want to survive, maybe, and I'm not convinced of this, you deny your vulnerability. If you want to thrive, it starts with vulnerability. You know, it, it, it acknowledges that I'm impermanent and that I have a limited amount of time here and I might want to focus parts of my attention on other things than just surviving because that's also innate to the human wiring. It, you know, it's, it, it's, it's what vision of myself do I hold? And so vulnerability is the entree to a much more robust human experience. So let me just give you one other answer to that. So like if somebody like, you know, I know that like loss is, is related to pain, you know, like have, that was one of the few 
if anything, they found their predicted cancer from a psychological point of view is like ungrieved, untolerated loss, like of human connection. And so many of us tighten up like crazy around loss. You know, my, my partner died, my, my something died. And so we just constrict because we can't handle that vulnerability, that truth. But from a different perspective, and you're asking about, you know, things around vulnerability. Um, if we accept that relationships are impermanent from the beginning, if, that, if that's our truth telling, then we have a whole host of responses available to us as to what to do with actual life. But the fake invulnerability keeps us from actually seeing life as it is. And so that's why it's so dangerous and probably amps the shit out of chronic pain because it's so reality denying and, and such a, a weak kind of sad armoring so one doesn't have to see certain realities of even their own life. Okay, so I, that was too long a speech, but I- No, no, that was, that was really excellent. I think that's unbelievable. Um, yeah, I mean, denying reality. I mean, you know, Anthony DeMello wrote this book called The Way to Love, and he talks about attachment really clearly that if something feels good, you want more. If something feels bad, you want less of it. That's attachment. And he talks about attachment to friends, family, circumstances, experiences, but also attachment to life itself. Mm -hmm. And so if you lose a partner or somebody dies, you're exactly right. We're denying reality and it takes a lot of energy to deny, deny reality. And you and I, all of us have patients all the time that are, that are still grieving the loss of their parent 20 years ago, even though the parent was 90 years old when he or she passed away. So it's just, we hold on to stuff that is clearly going to happen no matter what we do. And I have my own orthopedic concept of that. To me, I think it's just a way of staying in the victim role, which is a very powerful role. And so not denying reality. I mean, I think you're exactly right about we spend a lot of energy pretending things are different than they are. And you're right. We're vulnerable from the day we're born. I mean, it's the hardest part, hardest part about having kids is you might lose them. I think that that to me actually set me on a tailspin when my, when my son was born. A lot of things happened inside me that I had a sense of connection that I never had before. I felt very vulnerable. And right from the beginning, you worry about that loss, potential loss, but that's, or any relationship, anything that you do, you're right, very clearly that vulnerability is life. That's really an excellent point. Um, imagine if um, like the medical profession took like a, a tiny page out of Buddhist thinking and, and, you know, reminded every patient, you know, the Buddhists talk about the, the, like the messengers of truth of old age, sickness and death, that, that these, are for, these are for everything in nature and, and they're truth tellers, they're clarions of what it's like here on planet earth. And, and so imagine if every doctor, I mean, I'm just had, was trained with a, 
a certain compassion because every single human body is going to break down at some point, including theirs, so that we're all vulnerable to that. And, and part of the antidote is not just to treat people when they're sick, but to instill in them a profound gratitude when their body works. You know, to like that, that really is, that, that's the reality that comes when you actually are vulnerable. You realize it's temporary. You're lucky at this moment that you're not in pain or that you're not suffering loss because it's everywhere. It gives you the opportunity to look around with appreciation for what you have to say thank you for what you have now, which is the only real antidote to vulnerability. So if, if you look at the problem only when somebody has died and then you know you have to deal with that, that's one thing. But if you if you're taught like every friendship, every marriage will end profoundly appreciate it while you're there because it's impermanent or it will change. Embracing vulnerability is really the only way that we can be like happier because then we see things clearly. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's like hear your thoughts or both your thoughts on things. So I, I think we've established that vulnerability is really critical for healing from chronic pain. Um, Less is used the term psychological flexibility. Brett has pointed out that not being involved takes not being vulnerable takes a lot of effort and rigidity. So I'm curious. Um, I'll ask Les first, then you two can talk a little bit. I'm actually going to try to listen, which is not my strong point. And but also just okay. So. Vulnerability is necessary for healing. A lot of us don't tolerate vulnerability, particularly me, and I'm working on it. So very much of a ongoing 
it is a process of allowing myself to be vulnerable. Less uses of term pendulation. You can only tolerate so much at different times. So I'm just curious, okay, vulnerability is important for life in general. How do you learn it? How can you nurture vulnerability? So yeah, Les, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's great. And um, I think we all have the capacity to. It's a human experience. That's one. And we just need to acquire skills like how to brush our teeth properly as opposed to just kind of flop it on our teeth. So there's an ability to learn the skill. That's one. Probably the most important thing that probably Fred said in all of this is he said it without saying it is for us to be able to experience this growth to thrive is to embrace. And the word I use with my patients is to open up. And, and if you flip the coin of opening up, um, you know, in the fine details, it'll say letting go of attachments on how things must be and should be. And which then gives you the budding of this is my reality of this has been my reality. And in that sense, we cannot quite have growth while we are, you know, strapped. It's almost like ankle weights treading water out in the oceans of the emotions that we experience. And so when we can just finally say, this sucks, this is messy, this is overwhelming, to be able to experience it safely, sometimes people don't have that skills because they feel flooded. And so that's where we begin, being able to connect with someone, a therapist or someone to walk you through this safely in small bites so that you don't feel overwhelmed. Well, I mean, let's use a term called pendulation, where you, you, you tolerate pain, physical or mental, to your tolerance. And one of the key, key factors in all this is just being nice to yourself. And you can't, you have to, <clears throat> I mean, healing occurs from processing anger and anxiety, which are powerful survival reactions, and then nurturing, you know, hope, um, play, relationships, good wine, good food, good friends. So the healing from chronic pain actually move, you know, occurs as you move into these really great circuits, but you can't move into there until you've actually let go of the anger and anxiety. And of course it happens every day. It's a very dynamic process. So Fred, what are some of your concepts as far as creating that space of vulnerability so you can let, so you can, I mean, you get to let go to move forward, but you can't move forward of this, of this big block of psychological rigidity. How do you, how do you, what's your concept of nurturing that vulnerability? I mean, David, I can give you um, like, a, a, like for not just forgiveness based ideas, but if people are furious because somebody hurt them or somebody mistreated them, furious, I will ask them to stop and um, tell me about human kindness. So like, let, tell me, it, like, I know this, that this happened to you in the past or even yesterday, but also tell me who was kind to you yesterday? Like, did anybody do anything? And then I remind them when they do that, that, that they are playing a current role in their experience because they're looking or they're, they're talking about unkindness when kindness exists also. And it's up to them what they pay attention to. So that, that would be one. If they're mad about themselves or furious at themselves, I will ask them what good they've done, who they've helped, where their presence has been of value. Um, 
I will ask them to tell me about their strengths. You know, I know you have weaknesses, we all do, but, but what are you good at? And, and tell me when that manifested itself and how you use that so that their nervous system gets activated in real time of an alternative. And even with pain, unless that pain is so overwhelming that you can't function, I will ask them to tell me about experiences where their body was their friend or you know, what it can do. Because the, we all have some capacity when we're not over-focused on what's wrong or what we have been forgiven to rebalance ourselves. No, I think that's actually, I mean, we did an exercise last week with my um, little group where we actually asked people to visualize a moment, not any moment, could be any time of their life, where things were really good, they felt good. And try to mm -hmm. think about it in detail, the conversations, the feelings, and everybody could do that. But you know, when you're buried into day-to-day -day life, you lose that feeling because you're anxious, frustrated, problem solving or whatever. But my, one of my suggestions was, well, in the midst of the battle, just take a second and just relax your shoulders and just think about that time in your life that was really, really good. And it's a different exercise than gratitude, which is also important, but you just want to grab onto that feeling because it's in there. You don't have to make it up. You're just connecting to what's already there. And it's a very powerful way of moving out of these pain circuits into those different circuits. And it's not positive thinking. It's a positive vision. It's a different motion than just trying to fix the pain so but i just want to go back to one point in fred as far as thriving so i learned from bruce lipton where anxiety and anger are hardwired survival responses and even though it's the lower part of the brain it still occupies 90 for 95 percent of our activity and maybe five percent of our brain is the conscious brain and this unconscious response processes about 20 million bits of information per second. The conscious brain processes 40. So, you know, compassion and love and awareness can't happen unless you somehow de-energize these crazy survival circuits. And so that's why there's two parts to healing. You learn to empirically process the anger frustration. Then I think you can allow vulnerability to emerge and then allow your brain to move to the part of life that's good. But when people use experiences just to distract themselves from these powerful circuits, we all know of people that have had everything and not done well because you can't outrun your mind. So that's where to me, it's a two-pronged process of empirically, I'll use the word, just forgiveness is a big word right now, to de-energize these powerful circuits so then you can thrive. And then again, this vulnerability is a big deal because, you know, when you're in this anger, powerful mode, you feel powerful, even though you, you may not be powerful, you feel that way, but it prevents you from moving into these thriving circuits. So I just want to tell one quick story of a patient way before I knew anything about this, way before I read your book, Fred, years ago, I had a guy who was interested in the project. I didn't know it that well back then, but he started reading some books, started doing the running exercises. And he admitted he was incredibly angry at himself, his boss, his family. And he was in the office just overtly angry. And we worked together for about six or eight weeks. Then he came in on about three months and just said, you know, I'm feeling less angry. 
but I'm becoming more anxious and starting to get depressed and I don't want to do it. And he just got up and walked out. And that was it. Done. But I, but I didn't realize at the time that that's actually a fairly common occurrence in chronic pain is that you're so used to being in pain. You're so, you're, you're so used to being angry. You're helpless in the presence of this ongoing pain. And in some ways, the only thing you can do is to be angry. The only way you feel powerful in the presence of this unrelenting pain is actually to feel angry. It may not work as far as actually solving it, but it does give you that feeling of power over something you can't control. So I think that's a big block to healing is the in inability to give up the anger. But again, I used to be critical of that, but if you don't know how to be vulnerable, then that's also another huge block. Nonetheless, what do you think? Yeah, um, two things popped up as you were speaking and just to kind of tie in what Fred just mentioned, uh, two things. One, there's a physiological um, cascade that occurs to us when we feel vulnerability. Let's just say that. Meaning that there's a stress response uh, or feeling like scared, right? Or angered. So there's a physiology behind the psychology. That's one. And number two, I think we all are saying this over and over again, is to heal, it requires us to feel. And when we're feeling the very things we don't want to feel, it is natural and human to be attached to maybe an old pattern. So one, there's a threat physiology to this, which shows up biologically. And then which kind of produces all that, you know, anxiousness, that fear, like vulnerability. And we also have, besides that threat physiology that shows up, like, I don't want this yuckiness. There's also a pattern. So biologically, we have this thing when things are bitter, things are not just psychologically bitter, but when we taste something bitter, we have this biological reaction, right? Or something sour. And then we also have learned, many of us, many of us have internalized that being vulnerable is not okay. I grew up in a military household, and so we will learn to take no prisoners, meaning that you will not get up, give up. Even if you feel vulnerable, you will suck the suck. That's what it's called. And so in that sense, I had internalized a lot of stuff, which is wonderful. It's helped me out through these years. However, when it comes to the most painful things like death, like pain, or other things in life, it did not allow me to thrive. So there's a threat physiology and there's a learned pattern, um, I think is what we're also saying. And then probably the third thing we're saying here uh, repetitiously is, is that we have the capacity, we just need to learn these skills, so. So I'm gonna go back for a second. <clears throat> okay, so I think we established the need to be vulnerable and I will make one point out is though you can't just be blindly trusting, I mean, you know, you trust somebody to do a business deal with and they burn you. It doesn't mean you should never do a business deal again or a relationship didn't work. Some people don't trust people the rest of their lives and don't go back into relationships. So you do want to be smart about, you, 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 need, you need to take risks and you're going to fail sometimes, but you don't want to be, you want to be aware when you take those risks. In other words, you don't want to take blind risks. You, you don't want to be blindly trusting. So that's a learned skill also. But what a lot of people do, they take a risk, they get burned, they are vulnerable, then they never take the risk again. And so that's a big problem. I mean, I've seen that in relationships over and over again, friends of mine who have gotten burned badly, um, never go back in, <clears throat> that's never going to happen to me again. And that's pretty common. I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Fred? David, you can, you can teach 
a little bit of vulnerability directly. So if you ask people to, to take, you know, 15 seconds and remember somebody they love or, you know, remember something positive in nature or to feel something in their body that's good, you can then talk to them for a moment about, it's also scary to remember someone you love because you know that something could happen to them. And, and so right at this moment, you can practice, like what do you do when you have a little bit of anxiety come in around loss and love? Well, we can teach you to relax into that so you don't have to give up the love. I mean, you can teach that directly. The second piece is, is the meditation traditions, mm -hmm. you know, forever have reminded people that it's better to battle it out in your belly than it is to fight like life. And so, you know, you can, you can actively teach people really how to deeply relax their abdomens. And when they inhale, allow their belly to expand that scares the shit out of people because they're vulnerable. So you can do these kind of practices in vivo in 10, in 20 seconds of showing people, here's, here's your vulnerability coming up right this moment. Here's where we practice what we do about it because everybody has it. But what do we do about it in the moment we have some choice? Mm -hmm. So I like, we have a few more minutes. So I like to sort of finish up with, uh, I agree that, you know, actually, again, it's about feeling vulnerable and actually connecting to those feelings is a really critical phase of thing. But I sort of want to bring it into current events right now is that I just want to give an example that's well known where they've done studies and drawn inflammatory markers in kids who are bullied at school and their inflammatory markers are higher. Chronic stress causes inflammation, which is at the basis of chronic pain. And plus kids who are bullied don't do well later in life. They actually don't thrive. They have chronic diseases. They have chronic pain. It's just a disaster. But what's really disturbing is the bullies have lower inflammatory markers. There's actually a physiological reward for being a bully or power. So anxiety, you're powerless or you feel powerless. And unless you learn how to process it, that your, your body fires up. And then the more power you have, the more control you have. So the antidote to anxiety is controlled the more power you have, the more control you have. So what does drive a bully is this inability to be vulnerable. And then you take it clear up to our society right now with our world leaders being incredibly, there's no end to the amount of power that you try to attain because there's no end point to anxiety. You cannot outrun your mind. So we're seeing some really bad world events right now based on people's need to have more power. It's the same thing that happens in the schoolyard. So what does drive that behavior is pure coward, being a pure coward, absolute anxiety and fear. That's what drives that behavior. I don't know the details of why, but in general, bullies, you've heard the term over the years, bullies are cowards. That's actually really true from a physiological basis. So I'm just curious, again, we know the problem. Fred and Les have offered some options about learning how to feel vulnerable. Society, I think this is a societal survival issue is that if we learn how to be more flexible, tolerant, vulnerable, our world would change. So right now it's not that way. And lots of reactivity, lots of anger, lots of power being wielded. So I'm just curious what you guys thought 
um, from a societal level, how this is playing out. Yeah, I think you've raised a very important point. And um, again, as I said, there's a threat physiology to this as a biological thing, why we do what we do as human beings and our internalized learned patterns. And um, like I said, bullies bully because this is a pattern they've learned. Uh, and because as you said, you know, whether it's your, whether someone's experienced bullying or they were the bullies, the bottom line is this is we do certain things as a way to not feel uh, or to feel, like I said, powerful. And, uh, and I, I think, again, it says what, what Fred says is it's nearly impossible for someone to live a good life, as you would say, David, to thrive, as Fred would say, until we have that ability to lean, gently lean into vulnerability. And then the other thing that um, Fred also mentioned, whether this is, you know, we, whether we think about war, David, as you're saying, or, or something that's going on with us in our life the chronic pain, the medical traumas. Here's what it comes down to is if we can just be able to dip our toes into a state of vulnerability and then swing back to a state of what is, who was kind to me? That pendulation is what I call it. Now, one of my, one of my skills that I teach my patients are called the three ends. To, when you feel vulnerable or when you feel a mood shift, such as, you know, wow, I feel shame or vulnerable, notice that where in your body and then the second n is basically to name it so this is what vulnerability feels like and then the third thing just to steal from fred is now can you nurture what can you nurture in that difficult moment you can nurture your breath you can as fred said you can relax into it so notice name and nurture it's just a nice skill to pendulate between the difficult stuff and where we need to go as far as thriving so Fred, what are your thoughts on some final thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a good a good ending place because if you if you embrace your vulnerability, you recognize that that, that there's there are bullies out there and there are people who mean harm, and and so you it becomes an own part of you. Like I'm not fully capable of protecting myself. And sometimes I need help. And sometimes I'm going to be legitimately scared. And, and so that vulnerability like allows me to, to feel comfortable there. And it also allows me to not, not always just hate the thing that's triggering my vulnerability, but to allow it to be accepted as a part of this human experience, that there are dangerous things out there. And I have to protect myself and those I love. That's the intelligent outgrowth of vulnerability. So I appreciate both of your inputs. Um, we brought up a pretty big abstract topic. So I like to leave people the message that understand vulnerability is its own issue. I did not know what that word meant for most of my life. Um, I've done a lot of work on this and still have a lot of work to do. And it is a learn nurtured skill and hopefully we give you some ideas for it. But the main thing is whatever pathway you choose is just understand the need for that in order to thrive. You can't thrive with a little bit of space to thrive into and vulnerability um, creates that need. So um, Fred, thank you. Les, thank you. David, thank you. <laughs> I was going to say that, David. I didn't give me a chance. I, I wasn't counting on that. <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to forgive you again. So. You have to respect the self-esteem of somebody who thanks themselves. <laughs> <laughs>
Or, or. <laughs> anyway, thank you, everybody, and uh, we'll talk soon. David and Les would love to hear from you about today's podcast and any ideas for future topics. You can email them at david-les at dynamichealingpodcast.com. That's david-les at dynamichealingpodcast.com. I'm Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.